The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We're talking about some of the work that is being done within the Correctional Services Department and uh, the opening of a newly built correctional facility. You heard from Crispin Piri that, in fact, it was uh, perhaps just an extension and a renovation of an existing facility to accommodate some of the growing numbers of um, offenders that are serving time at that facility. Crispin, before we went to break, you, t- you were speaking about other alternatives to um, rehabilitating offenders. And I would imagine that one of the things that sets the framework for what the Correctional uh, Services Department does is the fact that South Africa, of course, has taken the tone of restorative justice. And yet at the same time, um, the punitive measures for crime in this country are harsher, but it's not necessarily resulting in better outcomes when it comes to the commitment of crime. That's that's precisely correct. I mean, for instance, if you look at um, our punitive measures for for crimes such as rape, um, they are quite harsh. Um, You would spend a minimum, correctly sentenced, you'd spend a minimum of 25 years in in a correctional facility. and, and that is quite extensive. But one of the unintended effects of that is that you effectively have a bed booked out for the next 25 years in a correctional facility. Um, and with the high rates of this particular crime that you are seeing, um, you, you then, if, if you think of this, if you use an analogy of having a hotel, imagine having one room booked out for the next 25 years. You simply can't use that room again. Um, and that's, that's something that we're also looking at in the criminal justice system to say, well, what are the unintended consequences of, to some extent of, um, of minimum sentences? But moreover, how effective are they in proving to be a deterrent in our communities for crime? And one of the best ways that is proven all across the world of, of being a deterrent for crime is absolutely to get caught for these crimes. And that's where um, the criminal justice system is required to, to really re-engineer itself. Um, particularly from the policing perspective and, and our ability to ensure that we're able to not only just arrest people for purposes of arranging them for court proceeding, but actually convicting them. So also how we assess the performance of the NPA um, needs to be not just what the rate of convictions are, but actually how many trials have been brought before the courts for convictions. Because if you bring, for argument's sake, say two trials a year um, and you convict both of those trials, that's a conviction rate of 100%. But from, a, from a, uh, a numerical point of view, the question should be how many cases have you actually brought before the court and how many of those have actually then withstood the beyond a reasonable doubt test. So these are the things that we need to re-engineer in the criminal justice system so that we're able to respond to crime effectively. Mm. Because we do know that for for one to be deterred by crime is the mere possibility that you will be caught. But if you think that you will not be caught, you, you really take, you chance your, your hand a bit with the, with the law. And that's something that we want to address. Do you believe that currently there is an emphasis or, on incarceration and this is arresting people and having them serve jail time versus the actual process of what happens once they're arrested? And that would speak to the rehabilitation of these offenders. Once they're convicted. Um, I think there is. I, there's also a perception that incarceration in and of itself is a, a form of justice. Um, 
rightly so to some extent. But the question then becomes, what is it about our society that keeps producing these type of individuals? Um, and that's also why correctional services, we really are on the spear of ensuring that we have many criminologists um, at our disposal to help us understand these individuals that come into our facilities. And then we are able to really understand what is happening in our communities that keeps reproducing um, these type of individuals. Because ultimately, and I think in society we do forget this, these individuals are products of our communities. Um, they are products of our schooling system to some extent or the lack thereof. So some of the underlying effects in our communities um, do then spill over into, into societal problems, which ultimately we then find in our correctional facilities. We sit, literally sit with the physical manifestation of these societal problems, problems in our correctional facilities. For instance, as I was mentioning earlier, I was saying that some of the people who get incarcerated for, for two years are socioeconomic crimes, um, shoplifting, um, stealing certain, certain properties. But you look at this theft and you think it is a crime, it's an economic crime, but it is not something that can be solved by it, simply incarcerating something, someone. Um, we really need to address the fundamental problems in our communities. Is there, you know, I know that we have the inspectorate, right, that um, investigates part of what is happening in prisons. But from a correctional services facility perspective, do you have accurate reporting mechanisms of what is happening within these facilities? Because often the the investigation of the inspectorate will take place after the fact. So by the time that they uncover something, one often finds that it has been taking place for a long time. And it almost exacerbates the extent to which a lot of prisons are themselves a hotspot for crime. Quite correctly, so the judicial inspectorate um, services, professional services, do in, they do investigate incidents. Um, so they're not necessarily a proactive institution. Um, although, to some extent, they under Judge Cameron, under Judge Vatavestes, and we have seen instances where they do go into facilities um, to check the conditions in which inmates live in to ensure that they do comply with the human rights standards and the Mandela, Nelson Mandela rules, uh, which are actually the United Nations minimum standards for correctional services. Um, but indeed, uh, we do also then have a strong perception that a lot of crimes are actually orchestrated from correctional facilities. And to that extent, we actually do have a number of initiatives to ensure that we address this. Uh, The first is that we have an anti-gang policy, um, which is upon someone being incarcerated and we have knowledge that they are from gangs. In fact, we actually don't even have knowledge. We are able to profile them by uh, merely looking at them uh, because gangs do have their own symbols and particular tattoos. Um, they are able to be profiled and placed um, far away from the communities that they are. They have terrorized and also delinked from potential inmates who may fall into that particular gang. So that's one of the proactive steps that is underway um, that are taken by correctional services. But the other one is to really look at um, bringing about technological change in correctional facilities. Um, I don't know if you follow parliamentary proceedings quite closely, but one honorable member, Jane Self, actually once said, I don't know about you, Minister, but I get a number of calls um, from correctional services, from inmates. Um, and the minister confirmed that so does he, and so mm, do I. Mm. And that, that speaks to contraband being smuggled into our facilities. Um, and to, to really deal with that, 
the spreading and introduction of body scanners that are able to reduce uh, human intervention because normally an individual would be searched by another individual. Um, and that way you can get away with smuggling um, contraband into our facilities. We're now introducing body scanners in as many facilities as possible to ensure that um, this facility is able to scan you almost like at the airport mm-hmm. and we're able to see if you have contraband. And then thirdly, we're looking at the possibility of how we're able to um, jam uh, uh, signals in our facilities. But at the same time, that does have the complication of how would our um, officers communicate amongst themselves because they too would require signal. So, But those are the possibilities that we're looking at. And we hope that they will bear fruit, um, uh, ensuring that we address the conspire, uh, contraband smuggling is really a top priority of mm-hmm. the minister. And we hope that it's, it's something that can really be resolved within, within the next couple of years. But it is a difficult exercise because, again, uh, this contraband does not find itself, doesn't walk into our facilities. It walks in through humans. It's members of our communities. It's our brothers and sisters who literally bring this contraband um, for people who ought to be in a facility of rehabilitation. So we also do appeal to members of the community to say, help us rehabilitate these individuals by not being part of the problem. Crispin Piri is the spokesperson for the Department of Justice. Of course, I'm taking your calls on 011-714-2006 and on WhatsApp at 614 Let me go to Bromwell in Bloemfontein. Bromwell, good morning. Good morning, Cathy. How are you? I'm well, thank you, sir. Go ahead. Uh, thank you. Um, first of all, can we allow inmates to listen to the only national radio station, which is SAFM. That is one request, which I don't know if it's possible for them to do. You understand? If we can have a national radio, whereby all the correctional facilities across the country, they can have access. Because there are many times we even heard some inmates who are calling on the show. You understand? That shows maybe they are also getting some good things from SAFM. But if we are to decline them, then where else do we expect them to get those good information from? That is one thing. Secondly, um, is it we also say um, if you finish uh, serving your sentences, then automatically we erase you from the database of uh, criminal distance, um, this or oh, I've forgotten the name, uh, criminal records. There are many people who finish their sentences, but still sitting home with that criminal records, and it's it's kind of hurting them. They can't even get any job. I but but, but Romwell, surely that is a consequence. That is a consequence of one's actions. And in I as think, much as and in as much as one can be rehabilitated and form, you know, a completely different life for themselves, um, it yeah, is important I, that any potential employer is aware of that track record. I'm just thinking about what you're saying uh, for you know those that commit sexual crimes. Imagine what happens if somebody who's been committed of sexual crimes, maybe against children has that taken off their record and is hired at a school and does the same thing again yeah we can maybe have uh, maybe a class- classification if it's a social uh, sexual offense or murder that one we can't write override it but like petty things shoplifting etc you know there are certain small things that people are still sitting home with it those things we could have at least recuse them from it like mm-hmm. just excuse them exempt them from it I, d- I don't it know. I, d- I don't know, Bromwell. I don't know. But I hear the point that you're making. And I'll throw it back to Crispin in a moment. Let me go to Pastor Duma in Durban. Pastor Duma, very briefly. Hello. 
Hi, uh, uh, this is Cathy, mm. and uh, thanks uh, for taking my call. And uh, Mr. Peary, hello, sir. Hi, sir. Thanks for having me. I'm listening in. Um, the, 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 the thing is, unless a human being, young, small, elderly, whatever, unless they're changing their heart, it might be there are some offenders that have got no challenge soci- uh, sociologically. They have everything, but they still re-offend or they offend. Unless a human being's heart is changed, unless everyone involves, get this human being. How does an old man, a rape of six-year-old, a three-month-old, whatever, whatever, it is within the heart of a man or a heart of a woman. If we do not change their heart and change their internal man, it is a spiritual matter. That's where I end it. Okay, Pastor Duma out in Durban. I'm not surprised by those views. Crispin, uh, maybe you want to respond just to some of the issues uh, that have, that our callers have raised so far. Yes, so I think uh, the callers, I mean, the last caller is much of a comment, but the first caller raised something along the lines of why don't we firstly remove um, people off the criminal records immediately. Um, and quite correctly, you said to him, it's a consequence of your actions, but also it's a testament of your character. So, uh, people should know that uh, this is what you have done and this is what you have been capable of. Of course, maybe you have now reformed, um, but it's up to you to really convince people that you're a different person. Mm-hmm. Um, but the criminal record does get expunged, except for possibly the, um, the murder crimes and also um, crimes such as uh, uh, rape and so on. There's, those generally don't get expunged. But criminal records for offenses which are in their nature, non-incarcerated, non-incarcerational, and also, by that I mean you don't get convicted, you don't go serve a sentence for them, mm. and you get fined for them, I think, less than 20,000 rand, 10,000 rand. Um, or if you were incarcerated, it's less than six months. Those we do wipe out after 20 years, because, again, it's a testament of your character. This is um, something that you have done. And, and I think it's correct that uh, it must be there. However... Also, we want to say that it doesn't necessarily mean that you are a horrible person. And sometimes I think people don't really drill into the criminal record. They just simply mm-hmm. say, oh, you have a criminal record, mm-hmm. and they, they then shun you. But it could be maybe it's a, uh, you had one too many drinks on one day and you decided to drive. Very dangerous act, very negligent. Again, like I say, it's a testament of your character. Um, but it doesn't mean that you are not employable as a person. Mm-hmm. Or it doesn't mean that you cannot operate a till at a shop. But again, if you are convicted of shoplifting and you are now required and you now apply to be a cashier or work at a bank, obviously that's something that that particular institution or shop would have to take into account. They were, if you are convicted of stealing this, what were the circumstances around it? And you can probe these things and really then come to a conclusion about this individual. Okay. So, the obligation is both ways. Mm-hmm. It's something that we should be able to glean from your personality that this is what you're capable of. But also employers um, must not blanketly apply the idea of one having a criminal record is a bad person. In a country like ours, with deep socioeconomic inequality, mm-hmm. there could be various reasons why some individuals have 
criminal record. So we should certainly uh, be open to giving people chances. Crispin, I'll tell you what, we're getting quite a number of calls uh, from people, uh, from inmates rather, those who are in uh, uh, correctional services facilities. Uh, I trust you won't ask me how they're making these calls. <laughs> Let me go to Anonymous. I can't uh, myself. <laughs> Anonymous, I'm not sure which prison you're calling us from. Hello. <laughs> Hello, good morning, Kathy. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Yes, yes, I'm I'm good. Now, um, I don't want to um identify where where am I calling from, but I heard um, um the spokesperson of of Correctional Service and Justice is speaking about the Nelson Mandela Law or the Nelson Mandela Rule. So, so my question is, I just want to ask, what is the Nelson Mandela Law or the Nelson Mandela Rule? Because they have been speaking about the Nelson Mandela Law or the Nelson Mandela Rule, but they never told us. What is the Nelson Mandela law? Because the way we understand it is that is that uh, the Nelson Mandela law say you mustn't spend more than 27 years in prison. That is the law of the Nelson Mandela rule. So I just want um, the spokesperson here to make it uh, clear unto us here because we don't understand uh, that rule. Mm. Please. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for that. Uh, let me go to another anonymous uh, at the Kutama Correctional Center. Anonymous, very quickly, I have to go to news at ten, which means that Crispin will respond after the news headlines. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Okay. Yes. How are you? All right. Thank you. I'm fine. I don't need as well. Uh, I was scared. I'm here in Kutama Central Correctional Center. I'm very concerned about the 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 the, the time that you are. Uh, Staying here in this facility as a private facility because now uh, we found we found out that maybe you, if you are uh, saving life sentence in this facility, um, they can keep you here um, maybe 14 years above in in one facility. So I just want to know to the spokesperson there, Piri, uh, it is allowed to just. Um, stay in the one facility for the period of 14 years because okay. we didn't ask Bella to, to just um, come here in this private facility. So, um, okay, I just want to know about that. Thanks for the call. I believe the point has been made. Uh, I'll ask Crispin just to hang on a little bit longer for us and answer the questions after the latest 11 o'clock news head a news update. Nomsam Pluli is standing by. It's 8 after 11 o'clock. Welcome to the third and final hour of the show. We've been talking about our correctional facilities. Crispin Piri is the spokesperson for uh, the Justice Department. And Crispin, uh, thanks for giving us a little more time than what we had uh, initially agreed to. Maybe just your quick um, thoughts on some of the questions that were posed, especially by those who are calling us from, in, uh, from uh, within correctional services facilities. I think the questions were primarily the same one mm. um, about how long someone can be incarcerated in a facility for. Um, and one of the things that society always expects is that people will serve their sentences. So one of the most contentious things in society is to hear that uh, someone is on parole. And by the way, it's important that I just clarify what parole also means. Often people have this conception that parole means that this person can live their life um, as they please. But actually, parole essentially means that you are now under community corrections. And that's a, a person that would come and check on your well-being um, and check whether you are complying with your parole conditions for sometimes if you're a life sentence individual for the rest of your life, um, you'll be reporting to community corrections. Um, 
But if you, for instance, convicted for, for two life sentences um, and you're relatively young, um, it's not impossible that you would find yourself incarcerated for a very, very long time. Um, and life does mean life, although the minimum amount of time that you may find yourself in a correctional facility for is 25 years. But it does still mean that even after the 25 years, you are still required to be a parolee for the rest of your life and report to a community correction center. Um, someone then also asked, what are these Nelson Mandela minimum rules and what do they say about incarceration um, sentences? So the Nelson Mandela minimum rules speak to the minimum standards that um, countries are required to have in their correctional facilities. So for instance, treating individuals as human beings, even though they may have done wrong in society, ensuring that they are allowed to practice their religion, ensuring that they have access to certain um, rights, such as education, food, and also something as basic as ensuring that they have uniform is part of the Nelson Mandela rules, but it doesn't speak to the incarceration of a particular individual. But I must say, um, our correctional facilities are not necessarily perfect. Um, these are things that we are still trying to ensure that we really nail across the board. Uh, by this, I mean, for instance, having the facilities um, in place to ensure that we, we don't buy uniform, but we actually manufacture our own uniform. Uh, inmates are able to actually, through our textile um, facilities, make their own uniforms and start making um, their own food as well. One of the things that Minister is really passionate about is self-sustainability of correctional services to ensure that the farms that we have in our centers are able to sustain the inmates and are able to ensure that at least um, we don't find ourselves spending a great money, great deal of taxpayers' money on perishables such as foods and so on. Um, these must be manufactured in-house as much as possible. Crispin Peary is the spokesperson for the Justice Department. Crispin, let's leave it there for this morning. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Cathy. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. Okay, so... Uh